0: dedicated listeners and bears everywhere welcome to the sound barrier that's right northeast state's official podcast bringing it to you live here today from the uh, entertainment technology studios on the Beloved campus and we're here with our good friend mr jim kelly assistant professor of humanities and history here at northeast state a beloved professor delighted to have him here at uh, here at northeast state and uh, here on the sound barrier jim welcome to the show well, I'm glad to be here today,
1: and uh, I'm surprised I'm not any more nervous than I am because I'm here on stage, but no one can see me, which is probably a good good thing. Hours doing do uh, audio, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so I'm I'm really happy to be here, and I'd really like this series, and uh, I think it's a great thing to have here. So I'm ready to go. Okay.
0: Well, excellent, excellent. Now, Jim, I know you've been uh, you've been a professor here at Northeast State uh, for some time. Tell us a little bit about. Kind of, kind of your background, and how you come to be a professor here at Northeast. Okay, that's a, how much,
1: we don't have that much time, but it's a <laughs> convoluted story, but it's an interesting story, I guess. Um, have to go all the way back to when I was born at, uh, in the mountains of Western North Carolina, and I have an interesting sort of background because my parents had a motel and a restaurant. And so at, uh, at the Kelly's Motel, that was a real imaginative name, I guess, <laughs> Uh, I grew up in, in a, a very small town that most of people's experiences were pretty much the same, uh, pretty much the same kind of people. By being at the motel, I got to meet a lot of people from different places and different areas, including some people like from Europe that would come through the area, because in the mountains of western North Carolina, near the Blue Ridge Parkway, it was a tourist mecca. So I got to meet a lot of interesting people. and. Uh, Uh, The thing that really, I guess, for today's broadcast is my parents liked music, they didn't play, but they rented a Hammond organ for me. And this was back in the heyday of when organs were very big in rock music and in uh, classical and everything else. So I took lessons on the organ, and that kind of. And my dad also had a jukebox in the in in the in the restaurant. So I got a chance to hear a lot of different music. He was not a big fan of rock and roll, so he bought the jukebox, and did not have to, uh, you know, take the records that were brought in every month. If you leased it. So I got to hear a wide variety of stuff, like big band and all that stuff. And of course, when I went back to my room, I listened to rock and roll, but at least I had that you know, background. So um, finished high school, I went to Appalachian State University, and I went to, I went to grad school there. And then I got sidetracked uh, for a number of years uh, working in the music retail industry. And that kind of you know, began to mesh my interest in music with my interest in teaching. So I came to Northeast State in, in 1992 as an adjunct instructor. And then I became full-time in 2002, um, but I, and I teach uh, humanities and history. So when you look at the path that led me here through being growing up at a motel, and uh, encountering all sorts of different people, uh, getting a degree in history, but also having a music interest, uh, being a performer and things of that nature, and working in the retail music industry. Uh, at the time, I didn't see how those things were gonna mesh together, but they, they really do. Um, I will have to say that I did not like the history classes I took in high school and college because they were lecture and you, you looked at a bunch of facts and dates on a list, and you memorized those, and you took tests. And I said, one day I may take revenge on all of that. So <laughs> that's where we are today. Um, when I walk into a classroom today, I don't see it as a you know the old adage, uh, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. Uh, if you're a musician, everything looks like a chord chart. <laughs> or or it, uh, when you walk into a class, you don't see a, a group of students. You see a group of musicians who are in the band, and so that kind of thing is really the, uh, the what has shaped me in terms of how I look at, at, at music and and uh, and teaching, and so uh, I guess we could start out with something where uh, we play a little thing that I, I grew up playing, and most people do when they, uh, they play. It's a little piece called Heart and Soul, and it's designed as a duet, so you know, one person sits on the left side of the keyboard. I'm just here by myself today, unless you want to play Tom. Unless you
0: want to, uh, I'll this. sit this way. Jim. I'll leave it to the. Uh,
1: okay. So anyway, it starts out. I'm sure everybody's heard this. It's one of the first p- pieces anybody learns on the piano, and the person sitting on the left would do this. Okay, and then the person on the right does this while the person's doing it on the left. Okay, you do that. Of course, everybody knows that song. Everybody knows that song, and I uh, was playing both parts there. Now, I call that the standardized test version of the song. If this were a standardized test class that I was doing, there would only be only one correct way to play the song, and it's exactly like I just did it. Right. And if somebody did it differently, uh, they wouldn't get a good grade. So I think my musical background has taught me that you know there's different ways to approach how you how you learn, and so one way to do that might be to play it very standardly, but then you can mix it up a little bit and do stuff. You could do something like that. Now, yes. I had no idea when I came in today that I would do
0: that. Improvisation. Improvisation shall
1: we say. is an important thing.
0: How much? Now, let me ask you that question as we kind of move into um, into music and in the classroom. Mm-hmm. How much? Uh, how much do you translate musical improvisation into teaching in the classroom?
1: Okay. Well, first of all, yeah, I'm not talking about music in the classroom, mm-hmm. but treating the classroom as a, a, a musical composition. Right. Uh, there's a number of ways that we can uh, kind of approach that. F- first of all, if you're teaching like history, as I do, uh, there are established facts and dates sure, that can't course. be changed. The events of the class do not change. So like in Heart and Soul, if I'm improvising on Heart and Soul, I'm still doing that right. kind of stuck with that. Right. So I have to use that as my facts and dates. And just like in history, we do that, but the part that I never uh, was introduced to when I was taking history classes was the connections that we, we make because the facts and dates don't change, but our interpretations do, and our perspectives change every day. So right. h- history's really all about making those kinds of uh, connections that I think are very important. And there was a professor of calculus at MIT Uh, several years ago that when he, he introduced the class to his students, he said, we're not here to learn calculus. We're here to learn how to think using calculus as a tool. So when I talk to my students, we're not here to learn history, but we're here to learn how to think using history as a tool. And so to me, that changes the whole perspective about what we're really doing. Now that may not, and I have a disclaimer here, I'm not telling everybody that teaches like math and sciences and stuff, this is how they should approach their classroom. It works for me and it makes sense to me. So that's my disclaimer, um, which I think is important. Um, So when you look at that kind of approach, then what you're really doing when you're learning is that you're improvising. Right. Yes. You're, you're, you're not changing the facts and dates. I'm not changing how that song goes as far as chord structure, but I am changing the way I approach it and the way I interpret those chord structures. And so that's really what I, I think the important thing uh, of this is. And so uh, that works in a classroom, too. Um, and so that's how I look at that. So uh, And then my also, the thing I do is when I walk into, I used to walk into a classroom and say, I wonder what I'm going to teach these people today. Mm-hmm. I walk into a classroom now with the question, what am I going to learn from these students? Because, you know, it is a learning process, just like music is a learning process. Interesting. And and improvisation is a learning process. And I don't do it very well. Uh, I don't do it as well as some people do. I'm astounded by some people how they can improvise. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's how we do it. Uh, that's kind of the background. And I think it, it took growing up in a motel, you know, you, you never know at the time that that's going to make a, a, a profound difference in the way you think. Uh, going to graduate school, um, working in the music retail industry and selling keyboard instruments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it all shapes your thinking, and I think being here at Northeast State in the type of atmosphere we have here, I'm very grateful to all of the faculty and staff and administration for providing that kind of atmosphere for us where we really can improvise, you know. Right. We're not told that you have to play heart and soul this way. There's no other way to do it. Uh, the, the basic, the bottom line is how, we, uh, how we're learning. Oh, of course and that stuff all right
0: what's kind of the the student's response maybe the student who's the first time in your class maybe if they've been in a class uh where the syllabus was strictly followed and we're not deviating from this at all because there Mm -hmm. may be professors that that teach in that style Mm -hmm. uh what's been kind of their student response to um kind of your method of teaching and just kind of getting that feedback from them and making them kind of much more part of the class than they might be used to?
1: Okay. First of all, we do follow the syllabus in terms of the, you know, the course objectives and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. But, uh, to give you some illustration about how this works, uh, my classes are organized. We have assessments. It's a project based class. Mm -hmm. So students are, um, asked to choose projects that uh, reflect their encounter with history uh, in terms of how what they're learning relates to their life and and how they fit into that. Because very often students will say, well, I don't know why I have to take history because I'm going to go into nursing, and I can't see how that has anything to do with that. But when you allow a nursing student to pick a topic, let's say you're talking about civil war or something like that, they can pick a topic that has to do with medical care during the Civil War, and how the nursing profession actually grew up in that era, and how they're still they're still connected to that. So they see a connection between uh, what used to be just facts and dates on a page, and they see that it comes alive because it relates to them. And yesterday in a class, I, uh, I had some slides I had up, and we were talking about this, this process, and I the last slide I had was a blank slide. And I said, this is the most important slide that you'll ever see in this class. And they were going, well, what? They don't understand. (laughs) Finally, someone looked at it and he said, what's a blank slate? And we're responsible for, for putting the content on that slide, aren't we? There you go. And I didn't tell them that, you know. And I said, yes, you are. I said, we have a class that's very well organized and you have all these, you have due dates and things like that. But I said, what we're gonna learn in here right now is, is unknown, you know, what you will learn and what you will take, take away. And I also have um, uh, something that I always tell my students that if, if there's 15 right, right now during the, you know, the uh, pandemic, we, in, I teach, my hybrid classes which meet one day a week in person and then the rest is online, we limit our class size to 12. And I tell the students, well, there's 12 of you today in this class and you're taking the same class as far as a catalog description, it's history 2010 or 2020 or whatever, but none of you are taking the same class because your experiences with the class and the things that you get from the class are gonna be different. And that's where I learn from you. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like playing heart and soul. <laughs> uh. You know, th- there is a structure to everything. We, we do work with established uh, data, facts and dates. But where, how you improvise with that, and where you you take it, uh, each person is is a separate part of the band in a way.
0: All right now, you're are you doing all Zoom online classes? No, this I, don't, semester? I don't do Zoom. You don't do but, Zoom, but
1: uh, no, it's uh, it's all hybrid this semester.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And
1: so we meet in person once a week, and then the rest is online. And what we do online, we do online discussions. They mm-hmm. turn in their projects, and uh, I use Zoom if if we use things like Zoom. Uh, To meet with students, like in small groups or individually, to go over questions and stuff. Okay. So it's not a traditional lecture-based class; it's a project-based class, and we work together on that.
0: I feel like, uh, unfortunately, the times uh, the times we live in that COVID colors so much stuff. How Mm -hmm. much? How much has the pandemic um, affected, if at all? how you teach, and, and I know you meet, as you said, you meet once, mm-hmm. do meet once in person per week. Mm-hmm. Um, how has it affected uh, your ability to teach, or has it affected it at all? Is it just kind of keeping it?
1: I, I do do some, uh, not this semester, but last semester I did one completely online class, and the rest were hybrids, and I usually teach a summer class mm-hmm. that's uh, on- online. Um, it's not affected at all that my approach to learning, You know, the project-based approach to learning, it's not really changed that. Uh, What it has changed, uh, if anything, it's changed the, you know, the class size, which is smaller, which makes my approach a little bit better in a way. Um, But as far as my expectations of students that they they create projects that are connected to their interest, that hasn't changed at, at all. Um, but I do realize that students are under a lot of stress and strain that they normally would not have been. Oh, of course. B- b- because of their family lives. And so for that reason, in my history class, I almost always have a couple or three students that do a project on, and, and we don't just do one project, we do three, uh, based on the pandemic. Like what's the role of disease in American history? What's the role of pandemics? And, and you, you get a sense of, uh, of context and perspective that way that you
0: don't always get in a textbook, right? Because
1: right. no American history textbook at this point is going to have the pandemic in it.
0: No, it's it's history. We're living history, as they We're that living to history,
1: say. but there there is a you know yesterday I, I put up a slide just for fun at the beginning. It's kind of an icebreaker, and it showed a group of um, I think it was in the early '60s. And the polio vaccine, which started out as a vaccine, then it became like a little substance on a sugar cube. It showed people in a car in California, in a lineup of automobiles getting their vaccine. Wow. Early
0: Early 60s. Then
1: I immediately put up another slide showing a group of people in a car in California getting their COVID vaccine. So it shows the continuity that we have in history, that there are things that have happened before that doesn't repeat itself but it gives students a sense of perspective. Right. It doesn't make it any easier to live with the pandemic or anything, but it does give you a sense of perspective, that this is not the only time this things like this have ever happened. They they just don't happen the same way twice. There's an enormous difference in the way things happen.
0: Well, you know, what's the merits of kind of bringing that, especially visually, instead of just memorizing dates out of a book in mm-hmm. history, mm-hmm. to kind of keep reminding people, look. All history is very important and we, yes. we need to keep that at the forefront right. of our minds and we keep, need to always keep learning about it and having right. a different view about it.
1: Right. Okay. Well, How, actually, actually I, I tell students there's in a sense, and this is not just a selfish or self-serving sort of thing, there, there's history with a big H and history with a small H. The small H is classroom history, which you, you can accept or not accept. You can like or dislike it. History with a big H is our own experiences in life. It's history in that sense is everything that human beings have ever done throughout time everything we we don't know about all of that we don't even know our own own history completely we've forgotten most of it but that's the history that i want to concentrate on history is lived experience that is also applicable to any career you go into or any uh You know anything in your life it goes back to that statement that you know we're not learning history but we're learning how to use history as a tool to learn how to think exactly and that skill goes a long way and also we don't do it in a chronological order necessarily because if you're if you're talking about the coronavirus pandemic you start now, and then you go back, as far back as you want to go, with the smallpox ep- epidemic in, in, in the 15th century. There were various smallpox uh, epidemics throughout American history. So you have to look at the big picture, and that makes more sense because you're looking at a common theme right. uh, throughout history. And um, a very famous French movie director uh, you know, made a statement one time that every story has a beginning and a middle and an end, but not always in that same order.
0: Uh, so, okay. so
1: sometimes when you learn history or learn anything about human experience, you start at the middle mm-hmm. or you start at the, you know, what is now the end, which is today. It's not the end. And you and to, to get back to the beginning of it, you have to start somewhere else in the story.
0: Right. So that's... Interesting. Very interesting. Is that Truffaut or... The director, which one? That is
1: Jean-Luc Godard. (laughs) Jean-Luc Godard. (laughs) Okay, who's still alive, by the way? Oh well, still around. Still around. But as of today, that may change. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) uh, uh, anyway, that 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 is a insight that I've had. And today, I, a song, you know, trying to relate this to my experience with music throughout the years. Sam Cooke did a song uh, called What a Wonderful World, mm-hmm. not to be confused with a song that uh, Louis Armstrong made popular called mm-hmm. Wonderful World. Uh, but this song was uh, written in 1959, and it was uh, recorded in 1959, and it was, uh, it was released in 1960. And one of the co-writers was a guy named Herb Alpert,
0: (laughs) who... And his Tijuana Brass. his
1: Tijuana Brass, who was just him (laughs) initially. He played the instruments and just he he double-tracked and triple-tracked all that. Mm -hmm. And then he realized he had to get a band together at some (laughs) point when they went on the road. But anyway, um, that song to me uh, is a song about how learning, whether you're learning history or anything, it's not as useful until you start making connections with it. So, um, and I, you know, the lyrics uh, kind of immediately sounds like an anti-educational song. Don't know much about history. I don't sing. Don't know much about biology. Don't know much about a science book. And don't know much about the French I took. But I do know that I love you. And, uh, and I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world it could be. And then it goes on to say, I don't claim to be an A student, uh, but I'm trying to be, for maybe by being an A student, baby, I can win your love for me. Now that sounds like a trite, you know, Sam Cooke hated this song when he mm-hmm. did it, he thought it was silly, but anyway, it is kind of silly, but it's been done by other people. Mm-hmm. It was done by Art Garfunkel, it was by James Taylor, Herman's Hermits, all that kind of stuff. But the basics of this song if you examine it is that learning has to have some sort of connection if you're learning history because you want to win the love of someone that's a connection yes but if you're learning history just because you want to pass a test or get through then there's no connection there it's very temporary so this song even though it's silly has a profound sort of thing And you can think about this song as being a uh, a song that you can improvise with. Is it okay to play a little bit of it? You
0: think? Let's give it a try. Yes. Let's go for it. All
1: right. This is just a little. This is just how it sounds in the standardized version. You know. Goes like that. Yes. That's the standardized verse testing version of it. That's how it, you know the correct way to play it. But it and also if you listen to it, it sounds like this. The same chord progression. Yeah. So there's where we find connections, you know, to the thing. But if you really want to play it, you know, you really want to have fun with it, you can do. What you're doing there, and I had no idea how I was going to do that either. Uh, So once you go past the standardized test version of something, uh, which would just be simply a memorization of facts and dates so that you could color in the right circle or fill in the right blank, then whole worlds open up to you. You know, what a wonderful world this would be because you're, you're then able to take those basic things and create. Connections you're not really creating because they already exist. It opens up connections, things that you didn't see before, and Mm -hmm. to me, that's the whole point of learning how to think
0: by using a subject as a tool. Right. Get the foundations. Once you have that basic that foundation, you master Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. The sky's the limit.
1: And of course, the disclaimer is, is that if you're doing a class in math or biology or something, but however. Even in those topics, people improvise. You know, that's how we learn about cracking the genetic code. Oh, yes. Because someone learned how to think by using biology as a tool. Absolutely. Uh, math doesn't stand still, it changes all, all of the sciences. And so uh, we don't make up stuff in history, we just simply find connections that are
0: meaningful. Right. Right. Who, who were your favorite artists growing up? Who were the mean first musicians, musicians? you really? Yes.
1: Oh, uh, Yes. I guess, of course, you know, we all have dates that we, we, we pin our lives to. You know, some people, you know, tragedies like 9 11, uh, the right. Kennedy assassination, but, but February the 9th, 1964, is a date that changed my life. It was the night the Beatles appeared on Ed Sullivan. And so, regardless of what you think about the Beatles or anything, it, it was a, a game changer. And that's the date that I look at. And uh, because I played the organ, you know, pe- uh, people like, you know, the MGs, you know. Booker T and the M.G.s, oh yes, with their version of Green Onions, it opened up because at that time the Hammond organ was used a lot in church. It was used in jazz too, and I learned I was playing it at my my church, and I thought we, you know, the first song I ever played in public was Just As I Am, the the hymn. Oh yeah, yes. And you know, people would say, well, that's what this organ is all for. It's just that's all you do is play church hymns on it. Well, Booker T and the M.G. (laughs) used it in a different way, and I thought, well, gosh, you can do green onions on this organ. Well, that opened up the world for me, too, and and that's how I began to think about history. Maybe history's not about the way it's been approached in the classrooms I was taking. Maybe there are different ways to explore it and so i have people like that and then jazz has been a big influence on me but interestingly enough i didn't start listening to jazz very much until i was uh into college or more and so hmm. you know di- di- different things open up to right. me. like you know a good example is pink floyd's album dark side of the moon which is a wonderful album
0: oh, masterpiece but yes. i didn't
1: hear that till several years after it came out so you know pe- people look back and they think well you, you must have been tremendously influenced by Dark Side of the Moon back in the 80s, or 70s when it came out. I wasn't at all. I didn't even know, I didn't know about it until much later, and then it influenced me. So that's how history, that, that's like going back to that Goddard quote. History doesn't always have, it has a beginning, middle, and end, but where you drop into it at might be in the middle or at the end or wherever. It doesn't always
0: occur in that order. Do you find people like that? They kind of go back, rediscover music mm-hmm. that's been happened even in the '70s or '80s, or even all the way back to the '50s, uh-huh. and they think, "Wow, where did this come from? Who was doing this?" Yes, is is that a common thing you you hear from students, peers, generally? Yeah.
1: And, and then I get people who are stuck. Mm-hmm. That you know the statement that well, music died in 1970 because there hasn't been any good music since 1970. All of its not any good now and it was all great when I was growing up well that is you know nostalgia which I try to fight against when I yes. when I teach history uh, yeah there were some good things but then there was some awful music in the 1960s
0: yes there was
1: uh, and I can w- if we had another podcast I could <laughs> come
0: but it's another episode we'll get off
1: but my de- definition of what is really bad, it's not everybody's definition of what is really bad, and I don't pass that off as, well, I'm the authority on this, because mm-hmm. uh, some things I think were really good uh, may not be. And then some songs I just thought were wonderful in the past, now I listen at them and I cringe, and I go, well, how could I possibly have listened to that? Right. So I think you always have to keep an open mind, keep your, open, and with streaming, I tell students this, you know, now, with movies and tv shows and music there's no such thing as old music or old movies or old uh, tv shows because we have them now in our phones so uh, you know sam cook is just as current as ed sharon is
0: uh, yeah interesting his, way to look at it
1: whereas before unless you had a copy a physical copy of sam cook's song or a record store which you don't have anymore, that you could get it at your chance of hearing it today would be pretty nil. Yeah. But today, I go to my phone. And so that idea that it's old music, or anything old, it just disappears. I mean, it it, it was recorded at a certain point in time, yes. But it's not old anymore, it's current.
0: Spotify, Pandora, can bring us anything anything. at any moment. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: that's true with movies and with, you know, photographs and everything it's just all out there so the whole world is our textbook and the whole world is our classroom so we just you know have that we just have to learn how to how to deal with that so in my classes with with project-based learning uh, students are able to take advantage of that whole thing out there you know the whole Mm -hmm. world and they're the first generation to be able to tap into that it's it's so vast that it's you don't know where to start
0: it's fairly amazing it is it is Jim, are you ready for our three-question flash round challenge? Oh my gosh! Three
1: right.
0: questions. I
1: have the right to not answer them properly. I you guess. can, yeah. Or the, I it's, can make it's up an
0: either-or. These are an either an either-or question. Okay. Are you ready? Flash round. Yeah. Here we go. Oh, Batman or Superman. Batman. Batman. Okay. Um, question number two: <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Going with the coffee.
1: But it has to be decaffeinated coffee for me.
0: Okay, De- decaf coffee. Yep. All right.
1: That's a qualification, yeah.
0: Qualified. Question number three <laughs> Mars Rover or Falcon 9? The Mars Rover.
1: And the reason I say that, and I'll have to explain that, was because the young lady who actually is in charge of looking at the photographs sent back from the Mars Rover was here at Northeast State, and she grew up in Kingsport. I don't know if she still does that it's been a few years since she's been here but i have that connection when you say mars rover i have a personal connection that most people may not have
0: exactly yeah i remember when she was here yeah fascinating like and
1: and that just was a connection and that explains what i was just saying we all have different connections and we can capitalize on that and create some interesting things
0: out of that yeah she she came here and remember she talked about she was when they were sending back those images, she yes. thought, "I am the first human in the to history of the world to see this image of on that Mars. day."
1: And then it's released, and everybody mm-hmm. can see it. So she was in charge of the cameras on the rovers.
0: The rover, and, st-
1: uh, <laughs> and they're still there, still,
0: still, uh, indeed, still indeed, still working. Astonishing yeah. piece of technology. Mm-hmm. Well, Jim, we cannot thank you enough for being here, for being a, a guest on this episode of the Sound Barrier, for your playing, and just for being uh, uh, just a great professor here at Northeast State. I know you're, you're certainly beloved by students and uh, staff and fellow faculty alike uh, for just your teaching methods and everything you've done uh, Mm -hmm. for us over the years. Uh, But anyway, I want to thank Jim Kelly. That wraps up this episode of The Sound Barrier. Uh, You're free to uh, click on the soundbarrier.net at thesoundbarrier.com. Go to both of those websites and smash that old subscribe button, thesoundbarrier.net. Or the soundbarrier.com. Either one will take you there. We're on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Podcasts. The sound barrier's out there. Subscribe to hear this episode and many other great episodes we've got coming up. Also, wouldn't be wouldn't hurt you to go to northeaststate.edu. That's Northeast State Community College. We're uh, rolling through the spring semester, but hey, we're going to start registering to the fall 2021 semester and the summer summer 2021 semesters as well. So check us out at northeaststate.edu. Again, that's northeaststate.edu. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of The Sound Barrier.